0: Welcome to Behind the White Scarves. Hello, everybody. I'm Greg. My co-host is Toby. We've got Alex and Sharon on. We like New Century. They do New Century. So here are 20 more questions about Stone Spring Maidens. Is that, is that clear enough? Is that concise enough? Can we get right to it?
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like this is the most concise we've ever been.
0: Great. Let's do it. Okay. <sighs> An unexpected component of Stone Spring Maidens is how much Thomas is in it. Obviously, Mr. White is the antagonist for the main plot, but we also get to see a lot of his life before the events of the book Arlington in order to help flesh out Harry's story. On top of that, it also helps to provide context for things we heard referenced in previous books, such as his transformation into White, and unseen moments that took place in Steamheart and Uncivil Outlaw.
2: Mm.
0: Alex, you've mentioned before that you miss Thomas. It was one of the things I remember best from our discussion in the wake of Steamheart. So it must have been a complex cocktail of emotions to voice him both before and after his transformation. And I'm curious to hear in your worlds how it felt to revisit him.
3: Um. This is one of those questions where I start uh, making answers halfway, well, a third of the way through the question, then another third of the way through the question, just so I don't forget things. As I mentioned on the Discord, I think just today or maybe yesterday, uh, Uncivil Outlaw was originally going to come out after Stonespring Maidens. I didn't want to leave Harry in that bad state at the end of Steamheart for too long. I thought people would be very upset about that, and uh, they were. But I think uh, I I ended up... Selling the direction we were going to be going in at the end of Steamheart better than I thought I originally could when I was just looking at the plan of Steamheart. But imagine the story of Uncivil Outlaw after Stone Spring Maidens, like it, the actual the positioning of White against Harry... And then White against Abigail, it'd be like it would become less personal as it, it went along. It feels
4: like he's not learned anything.
3: Yeah, mm. even if um, it was like, and previously this is what Mr. White was doing. Uh, if, even if it was set before that, but it felt like Mr. White leaving at the end of Stone Spring had to be the last we saw of him. Yeah, it would be like
1: uh, having Return of the Jedi, and then you immediately put in Rogue One.
3: <laughs> mm, oh. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I, I get what you mean, yeah. But also the, the reason that I went back to sort of uh, uh, Thomas's past and fleshed those bits out was uh, a surreptitious way of showing new readers who he was. It was, it was like, right, so some a, a small percentage of people picking this one up will be like, who's Thomas Arlington? And they'll only hear a bits about him from uh, Harry. So I figured this is the way, like, we go back and we revisit that. But because I spent so much time with them, He's the third person on the cover of Stone Spring Maidens, and I felt like that was eventually justified. As in, he goes on a massive journey himself in this one, because I was also able to to relay that groundwork to remind people and be specific uh, who had read before and who and, and to illuminate for those who are reading now. It, it felt like it was it was the setup and payoff that I needed. It's that's something I rely on in almost all of these uh, stories. As for what it felt like to go back to him, extremely distressing and exhausting. And yeah. if you remember the uh, uh, the speech he gives after he gets beaten by Abigail in Uncivil Outlaw, like that was one of the most stressful things I've ever had to deliver. Just that the, you know, we are fucked speech. Mm-hmm.
4: You see people as children, incapable of making good decisions without-
2: Look at how we are you want to stand there and tell me with a straight face that people can be trusted to make good decisions everything they do in defiance of reason every step they push themselves further towards extinction the self-invested incompetence they choose to lead them these are not the decisions of evolved individuals our world Our whole race is a mess of undeveloped chaotic toddlers and the real truth is that I don't want them to die. Abigail, I swear to you right now this is motivated by my need to protect them from themselves. And I implore you to help me. I implore you or we are gone inside of a century
3: this time i i I had to play him from loads of different angles Mm -hmm. because he's playing mr white in different ways for different people he's multi-layered he's cocky he's menacing he's grave Uh, thomas is loving and then you get little inflections of that just echoes of that and just little things and even just ellipses and pauses and what white doesn't say as thomas in the flashbacks he's also worried and despairing and then reinvigorated by sarah and then then he becomes desperate and lethal and stricken and aghast and mourning and hardening and self-deluding and then. The thing about Green Hollow, and I never really directly name-checked it as to what was actually going on, but uh, it was something that I learned about while watching extra histories of uh, of, of all things.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's
3: the cunning ruse of the head of the Matsudaira clan during the Sengoku Jedi period, which we all know about, right?
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> of course, right. everybody
3: knows about that. Okay, uh, the the short of it is, and uh, um, obviously all, all credit to uh, Daniel, and not um, a certain other people to do with uh, extra histories. Yeah, Daniel's delivery of uh, his own show was uh, always fantastic. Mm-hmm. The the head of the clan's son was kidnapped, and it was a simple request: you give up, or we kill your son. And he sent them back a message saying, "Kill him." Or you give up, which was a masterstroke tactically because it showed them that he was absolutely dedicated and prepared to maintain this particular uh, military campaign, even if it meant personal loss. So they could either kill him and invoke his wrath or not kill him. And what they ended up doing was just treating the kid well and raising him as one of their own for many, many years. Thomas in the back of his mind, was thinking to himself, I've read something along these lines. And his conclusion when he talks to uh, Lee is that the people who were holding a knife to Harry's neck didn't realize how precious she was to him and didn't realize what a statement he was trying to make with, I'm just going to count to 10 here. And even though you have Harry... This shows you my dedication. Thomas had told himself far too much. And it, it 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 needed to be something that was a forgivable oversight rather than an unthinkable callousness.
2: Mm. It
3: needed to be a miscalculation. And then afterwards, when he comes back and is almost about to commit seppuku... Seppuku? Seppuku
1: what? Yeah, super cool. Disembowelment.
3: The performance I had to drag out of him at that point, or drag out of me, came from my, my lowest points in life. But I had to temper it with imagining having done something so terrible to my own child. And the despair that I had to put myself through. I don't know if you've listened to my version of the killing joke, but that laugh, I uh, had to pull off as as Joker. There was one, one thing I never want to repeat, but it was going to that level of desperation in my head and my heart, and it hurt to go there.
0: Quick note, potential trigger warning for the excerpt ahead due to it being a Joker laugh. Either skip ahead a minute, or at least turn the volume down, if need be. For those not familiar with the laugh Alex is referring to, This is just after the flashback in The Killing Joke, where the man only named as Jack has pulled himself free of the water after falling into the chemical runoff that gives him the appearance of the Joker, and the laugh is a part of his mental breakdown and transformation into that persona.
1: I actually recall you mentioning in the making of that that at the time Willow heard you recording that and was like genuinely asking if there was anything wrong. I think that the hardest chapters, I'm not sure I can even make that claim because then I remember everything that happens in the first act of Mm. *Stonespring Maidens and everything with Harry that this is... It's a hard book. Well, this is always the point, isn't it, that these are differing pains, and one does not diminish the intensity of the term that you concocted of the Soma oneros So the just everything that each of these characters are going through, White and Thomas, the problem with him is that he has denied himself. he has decided, I'm not going to heal from this i am static i am in stasis and i always have that beautiful guillermo del toro opening dialogue in um, the devil's backbone
0: here i was going to cut in with an excerpt from the movie itself but since it's a spanish made movie that means the narration is also in spanish so instead i translate the opening lines for you here what is a ghost A tragedy condemned to repeat itself time and again. An incident of pain, perhaps. Something dead, which still seems to be alive. An emotion suspended in time. Like a blurred photograph. Like an insect trapped in amber. Thomas
1: definitely embodies that in this book. Especially because what you were touching on just there with the impasse there and how he figures out that the mistake he made was assuming that they would know how important Harry was to him. And Mm -hmm. rather than the conclusion of that being that he has lost too much of the man he once was and the world can't see that, Mm -hmm. he actually doubles down on the white half of his persona and says, I must never assume that these animals can make logical emotional deductive reasoning and that just feels like he is veering further and further away from the path of allowing his own humanity to become repaired or restored
3: in any way he's veering into a hyper superego state where he's trying to be everyone's parent and considers himself to be the only person of the intelligence required to get the human race of muling toddlers through this and in doing so what he's smothering is the actual father he was mm. the the loving elements of being a parent beyond simply knowing what's best
0: the loss that he suffers here or rather the loss that we see him suffering in losing the presence and the voice of lee This is the white that we see leading right up to the final confrontation in Uncivil Outlaw, and that better informs the headspace that he is in when he goes into that fight, and Mm. the thing that leads to, we are fucked.
1: I'm now tempted to, the next time we go through Uncivil Outlaw, to re-listen to that scene just Mm. before we get to that finale, but... Yeah. Um, while we're on the subject, I'd like to hear more about your approach when narrating. It's a performance with a very different set of requirements to voicing a character. And I'm curious about your general philosophy to the act of narration in your books and how you give voice to
0: it. Yeah, because this is one of the few times, the only one, other one in recent memory was Let Them Go, where you spend more time narrating a story rather than playing a character in the story?
3: Uh, it was more hard going this time uh, because, obviously, I was also white. Uh, I'm usually, I don't know if you noticed, fairly front and center in in most of the stories. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm positioning James in, uh, or Robin in more of a support role, they both definitely get a lot to say. Yeah, so Secret Rooms and Arlington, even like even in Arlington when it's it's more from Butler's point of view than Thomas's, you definitely get my presence in there, but I I kinda had to make white a ghost in this, as you you've been saying. It felt detached a little. Uh, it was important to let the real voice of this one be female, and I was allowing myself just this one time to just play support female and uh i think it's important not to underestimate atar's importance as well here that's something that i'm going to uh talk about again later but i think the significant thing is that my character when he does go through his journey a hell of a lot of it he's absent for mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i had to kind of detach myself from the rest of the story and kind of But there's also a reason why I got uh, Akshdeep Singh Vora to voice the intro and the outro, because it felt like, as soon as I heard his voice, I was like, what if we also got him to play Penny's father as well? Because then you've got these two effectively detached father figure voices guiding us through the story. Mm. Mm.
1: Wow, Uh, that that hits quite a bit as... Uh, many elements of this story do. I love Ashdeep's uh, voice. Oh, he's it, wonderful. It, it's amazing. It, the Multiple times I've listened to that opening, I just think, like, I kind of want to hear a whole series of fairy tales just narrated by him.
3: He's excellent. Well, I've given him the uh, role of, uh... I've given him <laughs> a significant role in Panther Soul. <laughs> It's, it's small but significant. I reckon you guys could probably have him on for a, a, a little interview and uh, pick his brains about the stuff he's already done because he is a professional voiceover actor. So Oh, amazing. Okay. Right, well, it might be a while to... before that Panther Soul's done, but uh, yeah, definitely put him on your to-talk-to list. I,
1: Absolutely. I assure you that even if we weren't recording, I would hmm. get as many excuses as I can just to have him talk and talk, just to listen <laughs> to
2: him. <laughs>
3: That's true, actually. Like, uh, it, we, we could maybe commission him to do sort of a sleep hypnosis, uh, uh, sort of like, you know, a relaxation. T- I'm, I'm joking. But as I say it, I'm like,
0: you know, that actually might not be a bad idea.
3: <laughs> He's really good at this stuff.
0: See, the whole thing about there being a new century ASMR thing going on, that oh, was bad. supposed to be a joke. Now you just keep on. <laughs> Adding to the idea.
3: Don't like sort
0: of throwing those joking. things
3: go on for, Sharon? You're the expert on well, this. Or ASMR kind of things. videos. Uh, no, uh, not ASMR videos, but just like sleep aids, where you're sort of like, you listen to this to get yourself chilled out before sleep.
4: Um, It varies. The Headspace sleep casts are about 45 minutes.
3: Right. Okay.
0: They I have mean...
4: like shorter meditation ones, which are about 10 15, but mm. the actual sleep casts are 45 minutes.
0: Okay. Maureen and I have used more than one thing on YouTube, which is just the sound of rain playing for eight hours.
4: Oh, yeah. They um, go, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, they go on for a long time.
0: On the subject of Ashdeep Singh Vora, we got a bunch of newcomers for Stonespring mm. Maidens, and we know that we, we've, we've heard through the grapevine, which is you, that uh, they're going to be some significant voices in the upcoming Nightfall of the Wendigo and Panther Soul as you're going on. Mm-hmm. Shanta Parasurman did an amazing mm. job as Donna, Donna Madrigal. Yeah. Mm. She's also a professional voice actress. She
3: uh, She's voiced Kamala Khan before in a Ms. Marvel uh, official Marvel audiobook. You got Kamala <laughs> Khan in New Century? <laughs> we somehow did. There's now- multiple Marvel links now. <laughs>
0: Okay, now the question is, where did you find some of these new people? Because this is far outside your normal method of going through peers and friends. We even found out through Felix that Mm. Felix is a friend of a friend, but now you're apparently bringing in professionals to do some of the side stuff here.
3: Well, in the, in this case, uh, we I was sort of planning out various characters uh, just outwardly on the Discord, and I think it was you who was like, "Ah, this uh, character of color could certainly be played by a new actor of color. I'd be interested in seeing that." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, you're right." And I hadn't thought about that. And uh, uh, you know what? I had I had defaulted for Ganny to Spencer. And that meant Spencer had to be benched for the whole of this production. And that fucking sucked because he's great. And I love working with him. But he's definitely coming back in a significant role of a very lovable character in mm. uh, Panther Soul, as we all know. So I'm looking forward to that. But it alerted me to, oh, hey, you know what? I should be casting my net in a more broad circle now. And I, like the whole point of Stonespring was to get people listening to walk in the shoes of folks who have different scenarios and different situations to what they've, their lived experience. So I thought if I just get the same largely white, mostly glasses wearing, I think it's just gone up (laughs) by one because I now also wear reading glasses. I don't know why, but most of us wear glasses. I'm wearing some right now, (laughs) but yeah, if it's just the same cast again, it'll be great. But it's not as far as I could explore. And that then led to a certain amount of, yeah, but then I'm asking people who I don't know, don't trust, might wander off halfway through, and then I've only got half a roll done. You know, it's it's all unknown quantities. So I had to be careful and, and in some cases shape the characters, in some cases give them characters that were much smaller than they could probably have done because I had to be Cautious to make sure that it got done If that mm-hmm. makes sense you know, This yeah. is a, I, I've got to think about this practically And, and I've got to uh, make sure Because there have been on occasion Very rarely in the past uh, Actors who came along Did a role And it just didn't quite work out And they had to be revoiced in the end I know Sharon's <laughs> looking at me It's You worked out fine as Catherine It's just <laughs> that uh, your Catherine voice And your Abigail voice were just way too similar mm-hmm. And that's absolutely fine. So, so yeah, it's something I had to think about. So I started asking around on Twitter, and I I just got lucky repeatedly. Cindy Womack, who played uh, Lamia, that mm. fucking vicious mother figure. Jesus oh. H. Christ. Like, I had her written horrible. She managed to find depths of horror that even I couldn't imagine. <laughs> Just with the casuality of her delivery. Yeah. She uh, was like, yeah, I could I could play this uh, kind of... Uh... Actually, no. I remember what happened. That was when I was casting about for Merlane, And I interviewed lady after lady and so many of them were young they were like 20 and they had very young voices and they sounded really enthusiastic but just not right for Merlene. and then maya was like yeah i'll give it a go and then she did that fistful of dicks thing
2: <laughs> and i was like sweet
3: oh, okay. jesus not only can she make herself sound old but she has the spark for it so she got it. But Cindy also tried out for Merlane and she was the runner up. She was the closest to Merlane. And I just uh, like just the idea that Maya could play her. I was like, that's great. I know Maya. I love Maya. She's in fairly constant contact. She's not going to go wandering off and we've got a Merlane moving forwards as well as the fact that she just fucking aced it and made I didn't like Cindy was was great as Merlane, but she didn't make me shriek with laughter with that unexpected fistful of dicks thing but Cindy I said would you mind playing this incredible would you be interested in playing an incredibly poisonous mother figure. And she was like, yeah, certainly, I'll I'll give it a go. And she she just aced it, like, the first time. And when casting about, I I didn't know that Felix was friends with Matt. So when Felix was like, yeah, sure, and sort of put put his hand up when I was uh, casting about for someone who looks like this, because I had Ganny drawn before I had Ganny cast... (laughs) or so, someone who specifically could play a character like this, and someone who has a background that would in some way tie up with it. And as I went on and, and chatted with Felix Moore, it's like, wow, so much of, of your lived experience actually does tie in quite well with not necessarily yeah. just Ganny, but a lot of the themes of this book. He's such a personable guy, and was just so easy to get on with, and was a, a joy to work with. We, and we obviously, <laughs> Orion was already kind of there, and sort of like put up his hand in a kind of, oh, uh, you want a, uh, a a trans character that you can start from scratch with rather than retroactively making trans when the trans actor playing them, you know, turns out to be able to ace it really well. And you want to make that character more textured. And like, the thing back in the day was Joe Rowling wants to get retroactive brownie points for going, oh, by the way, Dumbledore, he was gay. Then Joe Rowling did everything else that uh, uh, made Joe Rowling not exactly an LGBTQIA plus friendly author, but the idea of creating a trans character who had lived a trans experience and whom I could cross-check everything that this person had done and said with the actor so that they could go, yeah, you know what, this is solid. As Orion said on their interview, he was worried. He was a little kind of, well, you are cis, male, white and you don't wear glasses yet and I'm not sure you can quite get this character, but you know, I'll trust you and it was, I I respected that misgiving and then they were happy with the results and and just brought so much more to the table and then Shanta came by when I was like I I was going to take this it was actually the, the character from Nightfall of the Wendigo and because that worked out extremely well and she recorded her stuff years ahead of when I'm actually going to need it. God knows what's (laughs) going to happen if we need to do retakes. Um, I was like, would you like a role in in this one? And it just, it felt great to be able to bring in new voices, new sounds and not make it sound like all the other ones. It really sold. You're in a new world because with Tiger's eye, it was different. Like I'd, I'd made, one narrative story so far at that point, and that was Secret Rooms, and I'd done one in-world artefact that was the Cartographer's Handbook. So Rama felt like a new world because I kept it underpinned with that, that forest fantasy sound that I uh, I got from uh, Blue Zone Corporation, a French uh, company that makes sound effects. And,
4: and the narration is very poetic as well, which yeah. does make it feel different from the rest of the
3: stories. Yeah, and the fact that I was like, right, Maureen narrates... Almost all of this until Miguel finally gets to step forwards and then uh, Haka finally gets to step forwards at the end there. It felt like a new world. And then when we came back to uh, Century, it felt like coming back to the story as it was. So when we went to Autumn, it felt like the more things we can change, the more new sounds you hear, the more it is sold as a place we have not yet visited every new like uh, actually responded when i said uh, could, you know i'm looking for south asian voices and uh, he said i'm male rather than female because this was uh, around about the time i was asking around uh, nightfall of the wendigo and i just listening to his voice was like i've got to get you for someone like i said the the, the more i added to the soundscape the more it felt like a step away and a, a broadening outwards of the world and the more epic it felt Sorry, that was an extremely long response to a short question.
0: But How we like them yeah, yeah, yeah. That will also allow us to jump forward a little bit on the list and delve a little bit deeper into that mm-hmm. about what your guiding principle was to the sound effects and the audio editing because you've got mm. some of the voices going on now, but as you're crafting Autumn, you're involving Autumn's technology, Autumn's world, and Toby was curious about whether there was you were trying to strike a balance between emphasizing the solid quality of workshop gears with the lyrical character of the world of the Elaine. I
3: wrote about underneath in brackets. You're going to hate me for this, but yes, (laughs) (laughs) you nailed it so quickly and so succinctly that it's like it's it was feminine voices and rotating cogs. If you uh, if you listen carefully whenever the crystals are really employed and you're close to them and something amazing's happening you get this choral sound i wanted the crystals themselves to have an otherworldly voice rather than just boom, sh- clang, clang bang bang just it needed to sound unique and i've i've never not that i can think of i've never seen like glowing power crystals that sing in that way I'm sure there are but it was not a conscious one-to-one like that thing in that thing that I once heard the Mm. dark
4: crystal is probably the closest and that's not really oh definitely not yeah no it's just chiming music you know what
1: the idea of the crystal singing and why that works so well for me is because for whatever reason I feel like the singing kind of sounds like when something has that sort of ringing like a tuning fork where you sort of if you were to tap it, it would resonate in the room, but it also has this feeling of conductivity as if the singing is the flow of energy. So yeah. I really, it's one of those weird things where I thought, no, I'm sure I've heard singing crystals elsewhere, you know, just around the corner at the local shop or something, but no, I can't think of other Things where that's there. And... Now that
3: I think about it, Alfonso Cuaron introduced a kind of a ne- sound whenever anyone used any kind of spell in uh, Harry Potter 3 and only Harry Potter 3. It was not used in any of the other ones. They were like, they put a stop to that immediately. That was a, an endeavor from an, like a director who was really thinking about it to give mm-hmm. magic a voice rather than yeah. just sound effects
0: that could be done in any sci fi film. Mm. We're going to have to talk about that, actually, when we do Princess Thieves, which it'll mm. be a while before we do Magic. that, but for those of you that might be confused by the change in topics, Alex brought up the Harry Potter movie because he used a sound effect like the one he was describing as the audio indicator that a spell has been cast specifically in The Princess Thieves. Here is a sample from the recent remaster of The Princess Thieves, available on the New Century podcast feed.
4: The dwart waved her fingers quickly and whispered an incantation. Yes. A thin trail of blue smoke passed across the child's features. She tasted lavender. Her eyes rolled back, and she fell into a light slumber. Nap time.
0: But mm. but yeah, that oh the uh, idea. you could
4: probably
3: mention that uh, uh, that the giving magic magic a smell was something that I added. Far too late in the process And had to go back and retroactively write into the earlier chapters I was like wouldn't it be great if it smelled hmm. And like give each different spell That Viola does a, a different personality to it So what
1: you're saying is A wizard
3: did it Yes a wizard did it and a wizard went back And, and rewrote the first few chapters And
4: yes. A wizard with a find And replace function Yeah
3: oh <laughs> <The, laughs> uh, yes, the mightiest spell
1: In any wizard's book Control F
3: Yes, indeed. <laughs> but well, it gave them personality It made it like, well, the, the, the wake up spell Smells like bacon Because if you, sm- if you wake up and smell bacon You're like, I am up <laughs> mm,
1: I made bacon this morning And that actually got yeah. Sarah out of bed So I can actually attest yeah. Scientifically I love that proven. that's
3: the reverse of a sleep spell It's just, you know, you reverse it And then you smell bacon Whereas the sleep smells smells of lavender, which of course is very good for calming you and getting you off to sleep.
0: I wonder if there's oh. a way that I can channel that to get me up on weekend mornings because I have a really hard time doing that. And If I can, come what up you with need something... to
3: do get a George Foreman grill at the foot of your bed <laughs> and then turn it on with your bare foot and get the smell of lovely bacon in the morning. Are you uh, suggesting some sort of breakfast
0: machine? <laughs> it doesn't make breakfast at all, it doesn't burn your foot. Let me lead in right now, since we're talking about, well, we were talking about smells, which is hard to do for an audio drama, but back on the subject of music. We managed it somehow.
1: In... No, I mean, listeners, open up your care package that was mailed to you. You should see some <laughs> lavender and cooking bacon. And some we get it to bacon. Cook.
0: <laughs> smell the jerky now because you were building a new world and how you wanted it to sound was going to be very distinct you obviously used a whole I noticed a whole bunch of background music or background mm-hmm. noises you'd used before in previous stories mm-hmm. but there was also a whole bunch of new things and music is one of the things I'm worst at talking about yeah. uh, I actually needed to sit for a second and listen to some of the music that was put together for the Golden Army, back when I was uh, when you were talking about that in reference to its influences on this story. And I was really kind of taken away by, uh, in particular, the last Elemental, which is what I used as the outro for the last interview. And I, I need I need to get right back into that because I I notice the music in the background, but I don't always pay close attention to it, so I'm not as good at talking about that sort of thing. But I am curious about what you were looking for when you made your choices for the world of autumn, particularly the new theme you had composed uh, with I Sazenov.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the first
3: thing I decided to do was that I used Kevin MacLeod for years on uh, New Century. And then every time I'd hear one of his pieces of music in a YouTube video, I'd go, ah, I know that piece of music. I know the name of that piece of music. And uh, I remember when Haral fought a bunch of monkeys to that music. (laughs) And... uh, at this time, it was like, again, we are in a new world. I want to not use Kevin MacLeod as much as I possibly can. Because Kevin MacLeod is a composer from Century. And mm. uh, I suppose you could also say uh, there's a, a counterpart for Kevin in uh, Kellador, And uh, yeah, there's also a sort of a cat Kevin in Rama. But <laughs> Autumn <laughs> has no Kevin MacLeod. So... You did get some Kevin MacLeod stuff in this, a lot less, and almost all of it was associated with Harry and White. So it was everything that connected you back to Century, but not, and very rarely, stuff in
4: Autumn. Mm. Uh, Autumn has a Kevin MacLeod. It's just that he's married and spends so much time looking after the kids that he doesn't have time to put his website together.
3: Jeez Louise. That's sad. I'm sad now. Well, or, or like... maybe maybe he's uh, he's off doing something else. But uh, but yeah, they, this this time around, I uh, I got tabletop audio. They do backgrounds and soundscapes for like tabletop games, as you might might imagine. Mm-hmm. And they combine music with ambience. And for their patrons, they give you the music only tracks and the ambience only tracks. And because uh, you have to be a patron the of them, section. that makes it slightly less likely that people will have access to just one or the other for that so it's like it's access to rarer bits of music so Mm. I would just take the music or just take the ambience and occasionally very occasionally I would combine the music from one with the ambience of another to make a sort of a cocktail in doing that that gave me the sound of autumn because Almost all of them were tracks we hadn't heard in a previous new century, mm. and it gave it a personality of its own. And I was going for sort of soaring themes and contemplative themes and something which just felt meditative and quiet but intense and, uh, you know, feminine and thoughtful. The theme by I Sazanov, who also did the Princess Thieves theme. Like, first off, the way I pick a theme, I just go to uh, Shockwave Sound and just start typing in keywords and start listening to tracks. And most of them, it's like, and and like nothing really grabs me. But as soon as something grabs me and gets into the top tier, I don't necessarily go, that is exactly what I'm looking for now. Sometimes I put it aside and go, I want this for a book down the road. Mm. Uh, but in this case, I was like, "This is fantastic," and it feels familiar in some way. I was like, "I Sazanov, I know that name. Oh, it's the guy who did the. Com- he composed the Princess Thieves theme, and I just thought that that's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. It's like getting Alan Silvestri back from Captain America to do the Avengers theme. You know. Mm. Mm. So, so yeah, that one had the very like choral stuff in there. So you've got soaring female voices that make it feel like something is being accomplished but you've also got that hammer hitting an anvil ding in the background that ding uh it's a little bit lord of the rings it's also a little bit brad fidel uh who who does the sort of
0: pile driver sounds in terminator 2 considering harry makes herself a suit of powered armor i'm shocked that alex didn't invoke iron man as well but moving on
3: Thinking about it, actually, James Horner does some pile driver sounds in Avatar as well and Aliens. But Hello, have you been watching James Cameron films recently? <laughs> I watched one last year. I can't remember what it was, though. They're all the same. Uh, yeah. But, I but mean, yeah, they're just all blue, the idea of soaring coral voice female voices and hammers hitting anvils, with that kind of the big rise up if i'm able to do this with my themes it's i give you a bit of the theme to begin with in the early stages of the uh, audio drama and then when we get to a big emotional moment i will sh- i will let it out i will let it soar and i go this is what i've been hiding of the rest of this theme and, and, and i did you that know with steam that... heart as and as well as the princess thieves
1: and you know that worked because
3: i was messaging you when like <laughs> i was listening to the full
1: theme it this one got to me. I'm I'm putting it on my music player immediately. Nice. Good. Mm. <laughs> and of course we know what the defining musical voice of the world in Back in Time Plus Spaces. Alan <laughs> Silvestri?
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: well, we will leave that for people to find out when they... Read or listen to. back He's going to be Space.
3: expensive. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Hughie Lewis in the news only slightly less.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone already
1: knows the story about how you had to take a break from writing due to the events of 2020. You tried again with Panther Soul and had to put that down as well. Both books have since come out, along with a few others. And it's it's definitely easy to see where certain parts of Panther Soul could have been too emotionally taxing in general, mm. or because of real world resonance. With Stone Spring Maidens, the lines are more difficult to see. And Greg wondered what parts of the story were especially difficult for you to write back then, and were any of them as difficult to direct or voice act once you started back up again?
3: It was the cops, the marching for Black Lives Matter and the doubling down of the American cops who are like, we're going to start beating people up in the street just to prove that we aren't what these people say we are. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you fucking scumbags. But it, it, it left me so uncomfortable, so upset that I couldn't write Harry. Like Harry's bitter report of like, I've now had my eyes open to how fucking ugly this nation is spurred on by Green Hollow. That was always going to be the case, but just the way I wrote it, even Loretta was, was like, wow, Harry's really down at this point. And I was like, yeah, I would be. and Because I was, and I mm-hmm. still am, and I will remain so. I, I, I started this project with specifically the treatment of African-Americans uh, in mind as, as just one group uh, in, in, who have been mistreated by America for centuries. And that's why Thomas, that's why Thomas's family, that's why so many of the subtexts of uh, of these stories relate back to not only slavery, but how slavery can manifest itself in a slavery-free time, ostensibly. And it just, it was too much. It was fucking too much. And 2020 was exhausting. Every second of the day, I couldn't escape. I was stuck inside. And every day it was, what's he going to do now? What's he going to do now? Like every fucking... Newscast where was like, maybe we could inject bleach into our eyes or something. I don't know. Maybe that'll, like, if you do that and you die, that's not my fault. You're going to maybe consult with your doctor, but I don't know. And I was like, get rid of him.
2: Fucking get rid of him.
3: And astonishingly, somehow, the moment that he was voted out via uh, proportional democratic representation, I wrote four books. <laughs> I just I felt like finally we're moving forwards a little bit. Like I'm still fucking furious that all of this has happened, but I can channel
0: it now. I can see a way out of this. Mm. You needed the mm. spark. You needed yeah. you needed to rekindle hope. But
4: I I don't think it was so much the spark that was missing as the oxygen. You couldn't move. <sighs> yeah, I couldn't.
1: Breathe. Yeah. Smash that window, and yeah. then suddenly that sort of roaring flame comes out, and you're just like,
3: oh, <gasps> <gasps> <sighs> If you remember in Arlington, I I wrote a couple of good Apple cops, where it's like, hashtag not all cops. I don't think you're going to get many of them now.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: It's something that has, and this is well-trodden ground, but it's well-trodden for a reason, which is just that it fundamentally changed for me just how I view and engage with like representations of police and media. And it's not the case that this is something sudden that has changed. It's just a revealing that this shit has been rotten and it's been rotten for a very long time, Mm. quite possibly since its inception. It's difficult to go back to the stories that take this, there's no other word for it, this in retrospect naive look at how there's always that Jim Gordon in there and you think maybe Jim Gordon's not enough. Maybe it isn't. Now the fiction we write has to reflect that feeling now.
0: It even feels a little bit like there are even mainstream media is picking up on on that a little bit. I was thinking about your discussion recently as far as No Way Home is concerned Mm. with the way the cops are portrayed in that movie. And I hadn't even really. He stinks and I don't like him. Yeah, it, I hadn't even really thought about that. Like I noticed it when I watched the movie, mm. but you sort of shone a spotlight on that moment. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Mm. It feels like there's definitely a not so subtle subtext going on there.
3: Firemen w- still fantastic, always fantastic. Firemen are great. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> emergency Can we just services go- workers, uh, anyone, an EMT, someone trying to save someone's life with an ambulance, fantastic. And I'm sure that and we happen to know that there are factually some cops trying to be good who have always been mm. up against it because they're trying to be good is blocked by all the other cops who are not.
0: Mm-hmm. Even to just the cops where they don't actually view their job as being something important, where they view it just as a job and they're trying to get through the day, that was a, a theme that was very resonant in The Wire. Where there were a lot of people that were like, look, I just want to get my numbers up so that I don't have my boss coming down my ass. I don't actually care about solving the crimes as much as I don't want those bad numbers in my book. And I'm just thinking to myself... You may Dude, be in people the wrong are curious. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Get a job at Dunkin' um, Donuts.
1: Jesus Christ, I'm confused. I have a penny, and I was going to put it in the jar, but I've like <laughs> then Greg talked about a different show. What, what's going on? Here?
3: <laughs> there are other shows out there. Oh.
0: Look, I, I may have a trend, but you know, I do have other things that I pull on. It's just that. That hmm. one particular show, put the penny down, Toby. That one particular show just keeps on being relevant. You've just finished talking
3: have. about Arlington, which was very, very, very inspired by that one particular show where you got to put a penny in the jar. <laughs> You're forgiven on all counts.
4: It starts with a W. It's still good. It's still <laughs> good.
3: <laughs> it's like, okay, it's right. Gone. So, um, the, 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 this next season coming up, uh, the uh, you put a penny in the jar every time you mention either Firefly or Serenity. <laughs> what about Avatar? Avatar? Which Avatar?
1: The uh, Last The Non-James um, Cameron Yeah, one. yeah, okay. <laughs> so, no.
0: yeah uh, well, we just had a show on that, so obviously we're confused. Um, uh, yeah, I think uh,
3: no, I'd say two p in the jar for if you mention Avatar. <laughs> tuppence.
0: <laughs> tuppence.
4: Tuppence. is
0: tuppence. <laughs> Eat the birds. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 what is going
4: on? no idea sorry i've been reading uh christmas thieves so my head's very christmas
3: oh and i forgot to mention about the narration the the slight detachment but at the same time compassion uh that i developed in my voice it started in let them go and has uh it's 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 frequently um going to turn up in in later books i think i'm probably going to narrate quite a few of them and, mm. It's Philip Pullman in uh, his his Dark Materials uh, oh. books, which themselves, there's actually some really, really shortish, like two-hour BBC radio dramas of uh, his Dark Materials with Terence Stamp as Lord Asriel. And I hate them. They're rubbish. But the actual ones narrated word for word, unabridged by Philip Pullman, actually have their own cast as well uh Lyra in that is voiced by uh, her own actress and almost every as far as i can tell every character has their own distinct actor or actress and the the music's fairly crummy so i did remastered versions of those but those were the touchstones for uh how to make the new century multiverse the way that Philip Pullman says pity for some reason is the re- is is my touchstone for like how i get to this place on for the narration But yeah, uh, if you, I mean, you could either play a bit of that or suggest people go listen to those because they're really, really good. Better than the BBC TV series, way better than the movie, far better than the BBC audio dramas.
1: Anyone in the Wings care that he said that?
3: No? Okay, we're, we're good. All right. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, they won't ha- have uh, the music of James Newton Howard for Lady in the Water, The Sixth Sense, and The Village, respectively, across the trilogy, because those are just my ones. But you can imagine them, and you can maybe listen to those soundtracks as well.
0: You can queue them up on YouTube.
3: You'll have
1: a
0: good yeah. time. Yeah. I managed to procure a sample of Philip Pullman's narration of The Subtle Knife for those curious about it after Alex talked about how it informed his own narration style. Don't worry, no spoilers present. It's taken from the very beginning of the book. Will looked up and down the narrow street in the evening light, along the little terrace of houses, each behind its tiny garden and its box hedge, with the sun glaring off the windows of one side and leaving the other in shadow. There wasn't much time. People would be having their meal about now, and soon there would be other children around to stare and comment and notice. It was dangerous to wait, but all he could do was persuade her as usual.
5: Mum, let's go in and see Mrs. Cooper. Look, we're nearly there. Mrs. Cooper?
0: But he was already ringing the bell. He had to put down the bag to do it because his other hand still held his mother's. It might have bothered him at 12 years of age to be seen holding his mother's hand, but he knew what would happen to her if he didn't. I'm glad we got a little bit of laughter in between this question and the previous one, Mm. uh, because this next part is a little personal. Mm -hmm. Sharon has already talked about how the romance plot is based around shared personal experience. There's been some private revelations about the real-world components of that relationship history, and I'm not about to talk about any of that myself, since I don't know where your lines are regarding public consumption of your past. But I am very curious on why this part of your past was the basis. Was it about writing what you know, or was there a driving need to externalize untidy past experiences in the way that some elements of New Century have been previously?
4: I think part of it, I actually touched on briefly when I did my performance interview with you guys, in the sense that it it facilitated some revisiting of events from a long time ago that had nevertheless still left quite an echo and I'd never really been able to process properly. Mm. Alex writing something which... Reflected the feelings around the circumstances at that time Without necessarily replicating them blow for blow Let me look at it with a slight detachment And approach it from a slightly different angle By playing the other role Almost like empty chair work in therapy Where you put an empty chair in the middle of the room And you imagine the person that you're having the difficulty with in the chair and then you sit in the chair and be that person and and respond to the situation. It just allows a way of looking at the situation in a way that kind of gets you out of your own head about it. And given that it had taken me the best part of 20 years to not resolve some of this shit, having the opportunity to do so in this manner, I found really very helpful. Very helpful indeed. In fact, it, it did help me let go of some stuff that I really needed to have let go of a long time ago. Now, whether that was Alex's intention, <laughs> whether he, he wanted to offer me uh, some therapeutic experience, I'm not entirely sure.
3: You used to have dreams about that, those scenarios and mm. the sort of like playing it through in your head and putting yourself before it and putting yourself back into the this old relationship. And... You stopped having them after mm. we'd, we'd finished writing this. Yeah,
4: yeah. There's, wow. there's facets of a lot of my automatic responses to certain circumstances. And and everybody has things that have occurred in their past, whether repetitively or or something that happened that was quite intense, that means that if something comes up that even hints of slightly smelling like that circumstance it's going to get a like a, a response out of you that you don't even have time to think about you just react and then you go oh shit that was not the same circumstance at all that really didn't need to come up right then but it's too late because it already has and i noticed as we were progressing through the recording of stone spring particularly yeah, I suppose in, in part the writing of it, because obviously I was helping Alex sort of shape the way certain things were being phrased and, and put together so that, like I said, it was reflective without being an exact replica. In the the process of going through it, I was noticing that these automatic reactions and automatic feelings were starting to become less intense, and then they were becoming less intense and less frequent. And then I would go weeks and weeks and weeks without even noticing that any of them had recurred. And, and then it was like, oh, oh. Well that was really helpful.
3: It's kind of like uh, if you were going through uh therapy and you were asked to do role play and it's like I said that. Bollocks. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: I was giving our dog some food. Sorry. <laughs> He's eaten. Oh, he he looked at me <laughs> Did in he a
4: tell very you he not had I not eaten. He do you Say it
1: Toby, I know mouth. you want to. <laughs> yes, the cameo.
3: <laughs>
0: so sorry. Uh... Carry on. No, it's okay. I I'm forgetting the exact circumstances of this now, because this was weeks or even months ago. There was a show that you did. That's not very specific, obviously, but I couldn't remember if it was a regular school of movies or an after-school club extra. I just remembered it was discussing a specific director, which Alex does often. The idea of them going back and back and back to the same well... Whenever they create a movie, and just having some sort of blind spot in terms of not being able to move on and direct movies uh, with other themes. It just well, we've feels like.
4: We been saying right. that about Coen Brothers, but we haven't recorded that yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could this be? What is your Greg, obsession you reading with our minds? <laughs> With
3: large amounts of money that is found or stolen
4: by somebody dumb <laughs> who then makes mistakes?
3: Uh, no, uh, I, I might have said I'm that about Zack Snyder, who has That's a very unhealthy yes. relationship mm. with deaths of loved ones mm. that he keeps re-exploring in bad ways, uh, which yeah. honestly he hasn't directed much. He's done two films since uh, then, but uh, since the tragic family occurrence, both Maybe. of them suggest he is in a very unhealthy place headwise, and actually needs to seek some therapy to get him through that. I feel like he might consider that weakness. I could be wrong. I don't want to make any assumptions about the guy beyond what I can read in his work, but it's yeah. impossible to read his work and not think about what's going on in his head. Yeah, which does not feel healthy.
0: The reason I brought that up is that while there are some repeated themes throughout New Century, one of the things that I've always been very taken by is the fact that you are always looking to switch it up. I've definitely felt that present in specifically the last four books that you put out this year, is that there are new qualities to it new worlds to explore new ideas to unpack that are not necessarily present in phase 1 hmm. so that's good i think that part of
1: what makes it easy to forget that you released four books last year and i can't <laughs> believe that stone spring maidens is less than a year old um, uh, when when exactly did stone spring come out it was uh, I mean, it I was can't... almost exactly a year ago Wow. The reason it doesn't feel like that is precisely what Greg was just talking about, the fact that each one is this different thing. So we've only got one of each story, which means that when we actually sit down and look at the year's takings, it's like, wait, we did four of these? (laughs) Four news of the century. I know.
0: Well, I, for, I
1: know you've been counting.
0: <laughs> we ended up having to do multiple episodes in order to space out all of the so much stuff that we talked about for all four of those books. And that, that was just our beginning thoughts. It's going to take forever to do the deep dive <laughs> on some of these books, never mind Steamheart. Just because it's such a dense book with so many chapters in it, so
3: I've checked the date. It was January fifth, twenty twenty-one. So uh, a year minus three days from the recording date here. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and that's actually really close to the episode, Alex. (laughs) That's also really close to when I first read *Uncivil Outlaw*, Mm. and. As a result, was going around like, I need to find someone to talk about this with. Wait, I did an interview with Toby. Toby, would you like to talk about this with me? Yes. <laughs> but 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 <laughs> so what like if, a
3: two-year anniversary, yeah. What
0: if we did a podcast? I'm like,
3: that's a great idea. You know, like
1: I was wearing like the eye patch and the Nick Fury jacket, and I was just really glad <laughs> that I had an excuse to put it to good use. There was an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Who had it first? I don't know, but that was an
0: idea. <laughs> it was a good idea. I couldn't come up with a better place to end for the day, so we'll see you next time with the final episode of our time with Alex and Sharon on the creation of Stone Spring Maidens. To close us out, this is a series of bloopers that Alex originally organized special for the release of the audio drama but due to the fact that he had to start over at one point and re-release chapters in a different order, it might have gotten lost in the shuffle and not everyone would have heard it as a result. Therefore, I release it again to you in its entirety, what could basically be considered a sequel to the gibbet conundrum all the way back from the recording of Let Them Go, especially since it's Theo Lee having an issue with the specific line. Until next time... This is Citrus Fruits.
5: It was a Herculean task for me to find him citrus fruits in the District of Columbia. And, uh, let's try to say that uh, without sounding like a doofus. It was a Herculean task for me to find him citrus fruit... Fruit, fruit. J'aime fr- fr- mm. de It was a Herculean task for me to find him... F- <sighs> Here we go. It was a Herculean task for me to find him citrus fruits in the middle of the District in the the why did i okay it was a herculean task for me to find him citrus fruits for, oh good lord <laughs> okay it was a herculean task for me to find him citrus fruits in the why do i keep wanting to say in the middle uh gibbet it was a herculean task for me to find him citrus fruits in the district of district of oh, god fuck me it was a Herculean task for me to find him citrus fruits in the District of Colum—go, Di- oh, good God, District of Columbia, good Lord. <sighs>
3: it's been Viola all along.
5: Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! All of you! All of you! Shut up! It was a Herculean task for me to find him citrus fruits in the District of Columbia. <laughs>